Today's episode is brought to you by our listeners and supporters over on our Buy Me A Coffee page. Thank you to all who support the show by giving our show a listen, leaving a review or comment, following us on our Twitter, or sharing the show with your friends and family. If you want to support the show further, check out our BMAC page for more information. Link will be in the description below. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Into the Night, a Finance of Freddy's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time of the year again. The time of the year when we all shudder in anticipation and our minds bounce wall to wall with ideas of what could be. As of today, the latest book in the Finance of Freddy's franchise, Haps, has been released. This is the second book in the Tales of Pizza Pex collection of books, a sort of successor of the Fazbear Fright series that we are covering right now. Now, I know I had said previously that the next episode we were going to do would be Fetch, and we are going to get to that episode in a bit, but after reading the Tales of the Pizza Plex 2, I just sort of had to make an episode. It was just sort of invigorating in a sense. Let me explain. This year has not been sort of the best when it comes to FNAF if you're asking for an objective stance on it. I mean, Security Breach, whether you like it or not, you think it's a better direction of the franchise, you think it's a step back like me, it's at the very least left sort of a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of people who enjoy this franchise for a variety of reasons and the sort of lack of communication we've had with Steel Bull and of course the departure of Scott Cawthon meaning that we will never get any information from him ever on what's going on with the series or what we should anticipate coming from you know the series in general it was kind of a fog-like year where we had no idea what was going to happen and what it had in store we only knew that what we were really going to get this year was Tales of the Pizzaplex. And it seemed from every single angle that this was going to be another Fazbear Frights. Now that also was a problem. I know we're covering the Fazbear Frights series right now, but for those of you who really weren't there in the beginning and not quite understanding why the Fazbear Frights series is sort of controversial, I guess it would be for now, you have to go back to when it was first introduced to us, back all the way in 2018, in Scott Cawthon's blog post. Uh, these are two quotes from Scott Cawthon during that time period. Quote, There is a new line of books on the way from Scholastic. This will be very different from the original book series, as it will be a collection of short horror stories that take place in the FNAF universe. The series will launch with five books, each containing three different short stories, with unique characters and plot lines, some connected directly to the games, and some not. End quote. And there's also a quote from he made in a Reddit post called Just Note About the Story. This has been one that sort of existed in the infamy as time's gone on, which is, quote, Future games will look forward, but look to the novels to fill in some of the blanks to the past. End quote. And to be frank, I don't think 
that was the best description of the books that we were should have been given. Because really, it's kind of confusing in a way. So I think most people took that, including myself, that these are going to be a collection of stories similar to that of like Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark set in the FNAF universe, but just maybe not in the timeline and world that we care about. It's not going to be canon, but some of them will be. Some of them will exist in our canon, and some of them will not be. The first couple of Fast for Fright series really actually, I did think, went in that mindset that Scott Cawthon set up in the beginning at heart. That these were going to be books that tried to fill in blanks the past. Because we did get stories like that. We got stories like Coming Home that we covered already in episode 19. And that was kind of a very interesting look that we don't really get to see a lot in the games, which is the look at the victims' families. We get to see a little bit more about Susie as well. That was very, very interesting. We also get other stories like uh, Into the Pits, where we get much more uh, clear idea of sort of the timeline with the MCI. We also have Step Closer, which was one of the key components in clarifying Michael Lapton was the Foxy brother. That's also very helpful. But we were kind of hoping that the books would explore the characters we know. At least for me, that's what I was hoping for. Because FNAF was a world that I would love to be explored more. Like, that was sort of the weird thing that Fast Fred Frights had. It was kind of in a lose-lose-lose situation. Let me break it down. So, the first problem was, for those of us who are veterans of the franchise, it's not going to answer the questions that you might be interested in them answering. Because after the first five stories of the Fast Fred Fright series, and it got extended to 12, well, 11 plus one extra making 12, it never really went back to answering questions in the past games. It's instead went a sort of novel trilogy route of it's just going to do its own thing. And when you do your own thing like that in the way the Fast Fred Fright series did, you're only going to answer the questions in your world. So they stopped caring about the world that it was based off and made basically their own world that looks similar to the one we cared for and sort of answer questions in there. So it does, that doesn't really appeal to veterans because they're not getting to experience the world that they care for. They're getting something that looks like that, but not affecting that world. Then you have casual fans. People who may just like the book series and like the stories within them, and they just like it for themselves. They are also going to lose in this situation because there is a franchise attached to this book series, a game franchise. And they're going to be confused after reading this book series and seeing things not match up with what they read. Because the book series clearly takes place in its own canon. I know people like to argue whether or not it's canon or not. It's clearly meant for us to be able to take bits and pieces of it to answer questions we had, but it also makes it very explicitly clear that it does not take place in the same universe that we care for in the games. So no one is happy, effectively. So the fact that after Secure Breach released, the only story we were going to get, the only additions to the franchise we were going to get, was effectively this book series that looked to be just like Fazbear Frights again, 
it did not give me any optimism, basically, for this year. Then the first book came out, Lally's Game. And I was surprised. I, I genuinely was surprised. I read the entire book in two days, and I was kind of astonished. Because I read through the whole thing, and I was like, this, this doesn't really contradict anything. It's playing in the bounds of what we know to be canon. It's telling interesting stories. It's expanding the lore. It's world building. Did Scott Cawthon listen to our feedback? Now book two has come out. And oh my gosh. They listened to our feedback. Every complaint I think this franchise has had with its book series, I think has finally been answered with Tales from the Pizzaplex. I am not joking. Finally, finally, something reinvigorates my optimism and my passion and my fire in the series that I love. Especially after a heartbreak like Secure Breach. I know some people are tired of me bashing it, but it was horrendous for me. And now, Tales of the Pizza Plagues has fully gotten me back in. I am fully on board with this book series now, after Haps. It is... I am so amazed about how they have answered and reacted to every single complaint people have had with the Fazbear Fright series. And it comes to this. And this, once again, might just be the advertising major in me, but I think Scott Cawthon decided, or maybe it was Scholastic, who knows, but... I think whoever was behind the book decisions, let's just say Scott for now, I think he really cares about the fan base, and I think he wanted to make sure instead of giving us a lose-lose scenario that we got in the Fast Frights, he wanted a win-win-win scenario for everyone involved. And this is how we did it. So far with these two books, and to be fair, it's only been two books out, but these two books I have noticed have a pattern. Both books effectively have three types of stories, one of each. One is that we get our previous lore world building, where we take what we know previously. We have previously established these things in the lore. We haven't explored them really much. And these books actually explore them and give interesting answers as to what happened. Which is exactly what people like me wanted for the Fast Bear Fright series. I wanted these, like, I wanted to explore the world more. It's so mysterious and interesting. And the Fast Fright series was more compelled to do its own thing. So far, Tales of the Pizzaplex actually wants to. It's getting me excited to see what else is in this world. What, what small things that we do we know actually have these amazing stories behind them. The second thing we get is we get are if you care about the book series, like just for their stories, you get that. You will get your Goosebumps X score. There always seems to be one story that seems to be sort of like the creative, let's tell a fun horror story. And that's fantastic because that means if you're just in there for the books, you're gonna get what you want. And then if you are a fan of Security Breach, there is a story specifically tailored as the 
title of the series implies, a story about the Pizzaplex, exploring what it was like when it was opened and the different attractions that we don't get to see because of the mall being closed down. That is a win-win-win for everyone involved, and I am so impressed that they listened to our feedback on that. I also want to say this, I am very proud of also the writers. It's the same writers going from Fast for Frights to Tales of Pizza Flex, at least so far. And I have noticed, and it might just be more obvious because I've been rereading Fetch for the episode we're going to do uh, on it, but just reading Fetch alone and then reading Haps in one day at the same time I was reading Fetch, I was kind of amazed at the writing quality. It is markedly improved since Fast Bird Fright series. Like, markedly improved. Like, Fast Bird Fright series, and Fetch is a bad example of this, but it's the one that's freshest on my mind. It has sort of a problem when it comes to writing kids. Sometimes it's like a coin flip. Sometimes when they write kids, it comes across as, I hate to say it, but kind of cringy. In the case of Fetch, the best example I can give in that is that there's a part in Fetch where the main character, Greg, not Gregory, just Greg, he sees, like, a limb on his front doorstep. Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but he just sees a limb on his front doorstep. And he reacts to it, obviously. Like, he reacts to seeing a limb on his doorstep, as any kid would. His mom comes down the stairs because she heard him. He hides the limb in his pocket. And when his mom asks what he's doing, he says, Oh, I'm sleepwalking. Fine, he's just making a lie on the spot. But then we have an eternal thought where he just says, Oh, that was lame. I'm like, You're you're still you should still probably be in shock. <laughs> you, you just have a limb in your pocket. Like, I don't know, it's it just comes across as weird. And this happens a lot in case of Fast Frights. They sometimes have a difficulty in writing kids. Tales of the Pizzaplex so far, it has a wide array of ages. Even at as youngest as five. And it is so impressive how they have been able to make the writing much more clearer, much more cohesive, and overall in a more immersive and improved experience. I give my hats off to Ellie Coop, Emily Cooper, Andrea Wagner, and of course Scott Coffin. They have improved their crafted writing. It is very nice to see it because it means we're going to get more stories that are much better, which I am all for, of course. So, this episode, we are just going to go over each story in a non-spoiler fashion. Uh, there are three short novella link stories. There will be a link... Uh, to the Amazon page if you wish to buy it, but if you don't want to support Amazon, you can find it at Books A Million. Your local bookstore probably has it. It's available anywhere as of today. As of today, it is available. So if you are interested in these stories and would like to know how they end or want to know more about them, get the book, support the franchise. Anyway, before we get into all that, I want to quickly talk about uh, Lally's Game. The first book in Tales of Pizza Flex, Lally Game, the reason I didn't cover that one was because I was hesitant. You know, I was markedly surprised, of course, that the series was improving um, in such a drastic way, but I didn't know it was a fluke yet. Because, recall, 
the first three stories in the Fast and Fright series, the Into the Pit stories, they also were markedly much better. I mean, no one's going to deny that Count the Ways, Into the Pit, and To Be Beautiful are the most memorable stories in the franchise, in, in that book series. And, I don't know, I kind of worry that that was what we're going to get here. Because the stories in there, Fragility, Lally's Game, and uh, Under Construction, they were good, but I didn't know this was a one-off thing. And I also didn't know if my hunch was correct that these stories were taking place in the timeline. Even with the epilogue story, like, I didn't know yet. Because there was, it, it could have been like, this is once again a case of Fasper Frights, we're using what was previously established and altering in a bit to make it our own thing. In the case of Fragility, it's probably the most emotional story in the collection. Uh, but I was impressed that they took basically a small element from the previous book series, those being the heart-shaped pendant that Eleanor had. A lot of people have used that story, uh, Fragility, in Tales of the Pizza Plex, as a sort of catalyst of, oh, this clearly takes place in Fastbird Frights. I don't think that's what's happening. I think that's supposed to be similar to how, in the games, it took inspiration from the novel trilogy, the Silver Eye trilogy. Before Sister Location, we did know Purple Guy's name was William Afton. We got that from the book series. Henry, Charlotte Emily, all those characters originally came to the book series, and people liked them. The books have always been a way for Scott to sort of experiment, kind of. And that was kind of cool with the novel trilogy. It became very not okay with the Fazbear Fright series. A lot of people were not okay with it as time went on, because, once again, it wasn't what we were advertised effectively but he has always taken what people liked in the books and applied them to the uh, the canon and I think the silver pendant idea was sort of his way of showcasing hey it's gonna be like the Fazbear Frights and we're not gonna forget those who like it here's a story of us taking what you knew previously from there and putting a spell on it it's a very good story. I would love to know more about this story. Once again, it's one of those stories that make you interested. You want to know more. And it gets me excited for the franchise, you know? Uh, so that's my take on Fragility. Uh, when it comes to Lally's game, the only thing I want to bring up there is... really has to do with Pat's latest theory. I don't want to sound like I'm hating on Pat here. I, and not hating on game theory. I think he gets way too much hate from FNAF fan, especially on Twitter. Uh, especially, I feel like it gets a lot of hate, especially recently with his security breach theories, which I, I can't blame him for fishing because, like, what is he supposed to do? There's an expectation from basically the fans, the franchise, the fans of him, that when FNAF does something, he talks about it. It's the same as Markiplier, it's the same as Daco. When FNAF does something, they expect them to react, they expect them to talk about it. And since MatPat is very much the lore slash story guy, the fact that he had nothing to work with and tried his best, I consider that more of an admirable trait. That being said, he's not immune to criticism. And he's used Lally's game as sort of a justification for him holding on to Gregbot. But 
When it comes to using Lai's game as lore for the franchise, he has used the robot of Lally as his justification that Gregory could be a robot. Here's the problem. Lally being a movable robot is something that is up to interpretation. Numerous times it is suggested that Lally is just a mannequin, not a robot. He is a mannequin meant for lonely children to play with. In probably the most depressing attraction I have ever heard in any amusement park or children's attraction ever. I was shocked when I read this because I was like, this is so sad. Lally's game is literally, it's a one kid game. And it's an attraction where it's hide and seek for one kid. And instead of making a robot that plays hide and seek, it is a mannequin doll. The kids have to hide themselves and then they have to seek for it. And so, like, they know where it is, but they're pretending that they don't, and just seeking it. It is a really depressing attraction, but the point is that they leave it up to interpretation. Can it move? Is it aware? You don't know. Not saying he's wrong in that case, but I feel like he should have presented more of that in his theory. And finally, for the last one under construction, the one thing that I just want to point out to be clear was that this is clearly our... Fazbear Frights, let's just have fun story. Uh, it's definitely got that Hallmarks of the Fazbear Fright series. It's a weird story. Definitely it's got that Uncanny Valley feeling in that the story is about basically a girl putting on a AR headset and then after she's done wearing the AR headset, everyone starts dying of cancer. It's another depressing story, really. Everyone in that story dies of cancer. But it also heavily implies that it's also just an illusion and that she is currently just like she's like currently like in a coma and this is just her dream. And unlike the previous story, this one's not very much up to interpretation. And that's because it's one of those things where it probably worked in Fazbear Frights, it doesn't work here. Where it's like, yeah, but you're kind of implying this takes place in canon and we know everyone doesn't die of cancer, so we know that this, this is all in her head, really, so. It's still a great story, though. I still had a fun time with it. And the epilogue. Oh, so if you, I think it was episode 17 or 18? I forget which one we did. But the epilogue of Tales from the Pizzaplex. Man, when they were building the Pizzaplex. What a great epilogue idea. To showcase how they built the Pizzaplex. What was that like? What was going on there? That is a fantastic idea. So much intrigue and mystery that could be happening there. And they have set it up really well. Very well. Much better than they did with the Stitch Race story in the first book. This one I was all on board with. I want to know what's going on with these events. How are people going to react to it? And what does this imply going forward with Security Breach? Because we know the Pizza Plex gets built. And now there's a problem. How does this problem get resolved? What does this mean with Security Breach? Is there something there that didn't make sense that through this book series will make sense? I, If that's the case, I hope it's something not too major. Because I am from the opinion that I shouldn't need the books to understand the story of the game. Like, I shouldn't need to have read Harry Potter to watch the movies to understand what Harry, going, what's going on in Harry Potter, right? Or, I, it doesn't even have to be based on a book. I shouldn't need to 
have read several Star Wars books to know what is happening in New Hope. Right? That's 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 unfair on me. Like I shouldn't need to be able to do that. I don't think I don't think that's going to happen in the series. I don't. But I'm hoping. So far, this seems to be I don't know what direction it is. The one thing that I can hope for is I know I'm wrong on this. I'm just hoping. I really hope it is not a spring trap scenario again. Because they're hinting that the problem is something bunny related, and I'm gonna be honest, the books are a great way to showcase to all of us that you don't have to rely on William Afton. Like, do something else. Like, the books are not, they don't have to cater to the Afton family, they don't. It'd be great if we had at least one story about them. I'm not saying I don't want stories about them. But the overall story of these epilogues, I do not need it to be another Afton family thing again. It does not have to resort to William Afton being the main culprit all along again. Let's do something different. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game that lets you take command of your own team of your favorite Marvel superheroes and villains to take on interdimensional threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse in an action-packed turn-based squad tactic RPG extravaganza. Embark on an extensive campaign, completing challenging missions as you fight your way through the expansive Marvel Universe, collect valuable loot, enhance the powers of your favorite characters, and level up to acquire new gear, unlock formidable attacks and abilities, and customize your characters with costumes inspired by the most infamous storylines. Did that get your attention? As we speak, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating its six-year anniversary. But here's the real kicker. New users signing up through our link and using the promo code MAXPOOL get an exclusive treat. You'll instantly add the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool to your roster, complete with character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, and gear. Also, please note that these sponsorships help support the production and the hours we put into creating content for you. So downloading this game, using the link in the description, and giving it a try would help out this podcast immensely. The game is free, and using the code MAXPOOL gets you a ton of free starting loot, so you got nothing but to gain for giving the game a try right now. Thank you once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. With all that said, let's talk about the stories now. Now I'm super excited. So the first story that was in the Tales of the Piece of Plex 2 collection is uh, Help Wanted. Help Wanted is exactly what I was looking for with the Fast for Fright series. It's exactly what I'm looking for. From the back of the book, this story is described as, quote, Steve dreams of a video game programming career and starting a family lead him to take a job that seems too good to be true. This story is exactly what I was looking for, and it also alleviated a large concern. Obviously, the story is called Help Wanted. And yes, it actually does relate to FNAF VR, Help Wanted. It It is a prequel, effectively, to that story that talks about, basically, the uh, rogue indie developer that launched the uh, Fazbear Fright basically uh, rebranding itself through the VR game. That was a small snippet, and this story is all about that rogue developer and how Fazbear Entertainment basically executed that idea. That is exactly the type of stories I wanted in this, in, in the book series. That was a small detail, 
and this expands it and shows us what was going on behind the scenes. That is interesting, and it makes me appreciate the story of Hell One more now, because now I know sort of the background behind it. I kind of put it in a new light now. Like when you first see it, you assume this indie rogue developer is some type of greedy person. But you learn this is a very lonely man who just wants a family. And, like, you feel super bad about it. And you you really get, like, emotionally invested in the story from a character that was only basically a joke at Scott Cawthon's expense. And that's incredible, in my opinion. That's incredible. And, yes, uh, the main character, Steve, Steve Snodgrass, legit his name, uh... They go all in, also, with the help one a joke of It Represents Scott Cawthon. For those of us who are fans of the series for a long time, you will pick up on several, basically, inside jokes within this, within this story that relate to Scott Cawthon. Like, there's a part of the story, a big deal of it, is night terrors and sleepwalking. Which, if you recall back in 2014, one of Scott's first interviews, I think with Variety... He talks about when he was developing the first ever Finance of Freddy's, he sleptwalked and had night terrors about Bonnie. And we get to see sort of that inspiration, that, that is, like, the book takes inspiration from that one little clip and makes it a plot element to the story. And there are also several other things that are just fascinating if you're a fan of the franchise. Like, small little details. Like, there's a part where he's playing hide-and-seek when he's developing the games, and he goes into a closet and he gets basically jump-scared by his daughter. And you realize that's basically how the developer got the inspiration for Foxy in the Closet. Now, I also appreciate this. While that is clearly the case, they also very clearly in the book make it perfectly, like, open air that the developer did not develop the games we played, like, in real life. FNAF 1 through 4, Syslocation, FFPS, USCN, they are not fake. They are events that we are really seeing. This developer just made games based off that that look very similar. Which is fine, I'm glad they clarified that. I guess if I had to talk about criticisms of the story, there are two major ones I have. One is I mentioned how if you were a fan of the franchise you'd appreciate it a lot more. This is kind of a double-edged sword, however. You appreciate some of the references and inside jokes a lot more. You, however, will see this twist coming a mile away. Like, the moment, the moment, like, a certain little detail is mentioned. I'm not going to say it because for a lot of people, it will actually, like, they'll catch on immediately if I said it. But... The moment you see the little detail, you're like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. And that does kind of slow down the story a little bit, because it happens early on. Like, it happens in the first act, and there's and the, pretty much the rest of the two-thirds, you're just waiting for the inevitable twist, and I saw that inevitable twist coming a mile away. Which brings into my second complaint, which is, I think the story would be a marked improvement if we cut out like everything up to when he develops like the game like 
early on in the story, we, once again, it takes inspiration from Scott Cawthon. We see him working basically a nine-to-five job uh, to support himself. If you are a fan of the franchise, you know Scott Cawthon, you know when he made FNAF, he was working basically at a Best Buy. He was basically just making games to support his family. Just, if he could, he could turn out a game and make 50 bucks so he could help spend it on groceries for his family. And not only that, it also even, I just, I just remember this now, I think actually they make a joke that the game he was wanting to make was a child-friendly game that involved like a squirrel, like a chipmunk, which is very close, you know, buck teeth, you know, very close to a beaver. Let's see what you're doing there. Making a nice L Chips, Chippers Lumber & Co. reference. I appreciate Once again, it's amazing how many fun details they pack in the story. It's very clearly has a lot of heart and soul and very much inspired by Scott Cawthon himself. And that makes it fun for a veteran of the franchise, as well as just someone who's an average fan. But early on in the story, you see him working at a gas station. And, you know, it sets up that he wants to develop these games. He's living just pretty much regular life. He's on the dating scene on, like, a dating app. And he gets approached by this man in black. And I want to preface this. This man in black named Edward Brock. I think his name is that. Edward Brock. I love this character. He is the talent acquisitions guy at Fazbear Entertainment for the rebrand. I want this guy to be reoccurring. He is so fascinating to me. I want to see him again. I also don't know why. He does not mention it. But I honestly imagine this guy basically looking like Gustavo Fring from Breaking Bad. I don't know why, but I just see a powerful black man in a black suit acquiring people for Fazbear Entertainment. And I know it has nothing to do with it, but just imagining Giancarlo Esposito in FNAF is kind of hilarious. <laughs> and I kind of want that to be a real thing, and I kind of want to see him again because he's so interesting. He's so shady and schemy. He's got this sort of charlatan, charismatic personality going on with him. And it was very interesting. Like, once again, it takes place before Help Wanted was made. It basically is in the interval between uh, FFPS and UCN and up to uh, Help Wanted. It takes place in between that. And it's interesting when Edward Brock comes to Steve that... Steve actually, as an older man, he knows that he knows a bit about Fast Entertainment. I think it says he's like his mid forties or his early forties, and he knows Fast Entertainment's past is shady. He knows small details like that, and he knows that the murders they talks about, there's a good chance they're real. Like it's urban legend still, but he also is smart to realize. Well, of course, the company will say, "No, that didn't happen." Like, he knows that. So it was interesting to see that the perspective of Fazbear Entertainment before Help Wanted was still one of they're slimy, they're greedy, they're shady, and their past is full of full of dead bodies and corpses, right? So it was fun to see that. But, man, everything that follows after Edward Brock. Like, I love the scene with Edward Brock. I love that scene, and I love the subsequent scene with him in the story. But... After that, to the point where he gets started on the game, like those eight pages, like eight to ten pages, if you cut out, it makes the story less predictable if you're a fan. Because as is, it is very predictable. You will know what's going to happen immediately. But 
even then, I appreciate it. Like, it's one of those cases where it still used something we previously knew about, but in a way that was clever and actually interesting. Like, once again, not going to spoil it, but it took something that many people criticize and made fun of in the novel trilogy, which there's a lot of things to make fun of, but it took an element and actually made it very fascinating. Like, I want to know the history of this now. I want to know who's making these things now. But overall, I'd say this was a great story. Um, if I were to give it a ranking, I will just give it a rating as of right now. And my rating will be... I'd say I'd give it uh, 8 out of 10. It's, it's a pretty awesome story. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I think it's a good starting point for people wanting to get into the FNAF franchise. That and Fragility as well. After Help Wanted is Haps. Haps is the cover story of book two. And it's, in my opinion, objectively the weakest one. And that's sort of a... I hate to say it, but that's kind of been a consistent thing between both books. The story that is centered around the Pizzaplex is always kind of the least interesting story. They're always a little less interesting than the ones that are all about exploring the past, which, I mean, they're obviously going to be less interesting than those ones because those are mysteries of the past. Those are stuff that we've known for, you know, three, four, five years. Security Breach is fresh. So, of course, those mysteries aren't going to be as enticing, you know, and as appetizing as those ones. But even it's, they're even kind of less interesting than, like, the creative ones. Like, like Under Construction is even kind of more interesting than Lally's game in capacity because they're still very out-of-this-world, like, acid-trip-type stories. And Haps is kind of... I don't want to say generic, but kind of basic in the story. Like, it is your classic, like, children's fairy tale type story, where the kid messes up, and the kids pay for it in their deaths. Like, very grim type of story. Uh... And I'm not going to call that a spoiler because, once again, it's one of those things where you can see it a mile away. I won't tell you who dies, but it becomes very clear that people are going to die. Even up to, like, page 10, you can already tell what's about to happen. Uh, I'll also say, the way we, what we're exploring, too, is not that interesting. Like, with Lally's game, it was at the very least kind of interesting and weird to learn about Lally. Like, to learn that Fast Entertainment had built this basically game for depressed and lonely children and made it a spectacle kind of like that was interesting and not only that we also learned that it shut down and we learn kind of how it shut down why it shut down in the book and why we don't see it in security breach so it kind of leaves it open and closed here it brings something that we haven't seen in the game it brings up something called freddy's fortress i believe and it's basically this giant labyrinthian maze of tubes. It's tube maze, like, you see in, like, the Chuck E. Cheese's and Chopis pizza that, like, kids play. It's an indoor playground of tube mazes, but it's massive, like, three to four stories tall type, and it warps around, and you can see, like, super high up into the pizzeria. There's just two problems with it. One is how it's described. It is very difficult to get a sense of setting in that story. And I kind of, and I kind of, I know I spoke about how good the writing is, 
this is probably the weakest in terms of describing setting. It's very descriptive. There's a lot of colors going on. It becomes very difficult to like visualize in your mind what's going on, especially even like the scope and size of it. There were numerous times where I'm at where I'm thinking, wait, how big is this and how wide does it reach? Because in the beginning, it makes it sound like this is like just a tower, like this is a tower, like like a fortress, tower, like a citadel almost. But as it goes on, it's like, wait, is this supposed to be like super wide? Does it like surround and circle Pizzaplex? Because like there are parts where like you can see like a bumper cart maze, like you'd see in Roxy's Raceway, and that's supposed like an area that's off limits. So I'm just like, wait, if that's off limits, and we started like, else like it's very confusing. Like you start you lose your sense of where they are. And I guess that's kind of the point they're going for, but it makes it difficult visualizing exactly where they are. Especially in what's basically this large chase scene. As uh, we've seen in all these Security Breach stories that we've had, we also get introduced to a new robot that we have not seen in Security Breach. First, game was, uh, first book was Lally. This book, it is Haps. Uh, Haps, I forget what he stands for, but uh, I should have written it down, but I think it's like helper and play and like helper and play pal sanitizer something like that or, or play play sanitizer he basically does two jobs in this pizza plex it actually once again it's funny when they fast uh fazbear frights tales of pizza plex or even uh normal fnaf bring this up it's funny when they bring up real life like problems that you see in these like chuck cheese style areas it's nice to see where they're clearly getting their inspiration from like, for those of us who know about those ball pits, who know about those towers, like, you know just how filthy they are. Because kids, like, three to six, they're disgusting. They, 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 they slobber, and they put their mouths on everything, they put their hands in their mouth, and then they touch everything. And we know that's what's happening. Like, we don't want to think it, but we know that's what's happening in those areas. It's a cesspool of germs. And I liked that the books actually, that the story actually took a direction. Like, the robot wasn't a case of, like, oh, we have to have a robot mascot for location. No, the robot served a purpose. And it served two very realistic purposes I could see for fast entertainment. Because it wasn't even really a mascot, it was just basically a particular staff boss. Like, it didn't have a personality, it didn't have, like, like, oh, look, check, go to the Freddy's Fortress for Haps. No, it was just a, basically a staff bot that was specialized for Freddy's Fortress. Its job was basically to either pull kids out who were stuck, specifically older kids like teenagers who go in there, they're too big for it, so he pulls them out, and it sanitizes and repairs the area. It's very engaging, it's just not that much, it's not very interesting when describing it, because what effectively Haps is, is a... 60 page chasing and that's really all it is now it sets it up pretty clear that it's going to be one of those boy who cry wolf story or in this case uh like once again classic grim fairy tale kid misbehaved kids kids are being jerks and they're about to get their comeuppance that is subsequently caused by their misdeeds and could have been prevented if they hadn't done anything like that like if they were better children this wouldn't have happened uh, and I think it's also evident the fact that I've also not 
said their names at all. Like, the main two characters are Aiden and Jace, but they are very replaceable. They're not that interesting of characters. And it's just... I don't know. I, I was very interested with Lally's game, but I hope going forward... And I think we are getting more stuff at it because... Uh, next book, we're clearly getting a Moondrop sort of uh, storyline going on. And the fourth book seems to be like some type of underwater attraction. It's like, what the heck? Like, that's very interesting to see. But this one, I don't know. I don't think this is a very interesting story that expands the world in the security breach area. Like, this is the story that I kind of feared we would get with Tales from the Pizzaplex. I feared a big problem with this whole idea. Not so much the fact that it was going to emulate Fazbear Frights. More so, we're doing Fazbear Frights, but we're limiting ourselves to one game in one location. And, and we're going to do like four or five books on this. Like, I, I did the math in my head. I'm like, there, there's not enough. Like, there, There's not enough for you to do here. And I kind of felt like what that was half was. That was one of my stories I feared we'd get where I'm just like, nothing happened. Like, this is a story that I'm, I'm happy I read it, but I, I'm not going to really remember it. Like, this is a story that I think would probably be good if, like, it was, like, an actual Goosebumps TV show. Or, like, a uh, Afraid of the Dark or Tales of the Crypt type story. Like, 30-40 minute special. Like, this would be a great, like, if FNAF had its own Black Mirror, this would be a great Black Mirror episode. Because it really needs strong visual components and like I mentioned visual is kind of lacking and because it's such a long chase scene type story it doesn't really work out because you're kind of like if we're not going to do anything interesting let's keep it moving you know it's so I, I'd say it's the weakest one I, for ratings I, I'd probably give it a 5 out of 10 it's it's average it's, an, it's the worst story we've gotten so far out of uh, Tales from the Pizza Plex it's very much early Fast for Frights, but that being said, that should say something about the book. That average Fast for Frights in the earlier, like in those golden books, those first five, I place it along with those. And everything else so far has been above that. Like, not above some, of course. Some Fast for Frights stories are golden. Coming Home, Count the Ways, Man Room 1280 near flawless in their execution and everything they try to do but these stories they're they're reaching there they're pretty high quality and the fact that Haps is my least favorite but I'd still recommend it I, I think that says something I think it really does and time for our final story in the novella collection B7 it has nothing to do with chess but oh it is it is it is something alright this is <laughs> B7 is just not the story I, I think it is before I get into it I will say I was shocked when I saw the timeline of the story because once again this was the book that alleviated my fears that we we're going to be stuck in Security Breach this book alone has three time stories that take place in very drastically different times we have one story that takes place before Help Wanted one that takes place before Security Breach, and one that takes place, I think, around the 1980s. Because they bring up Freddy and Friends, or Fredbear and Friends, I think. No, no, it was Fredbear and Friends. They bring up Fredbear and Friends. And I'm like, 
we're going all the way back in the 80s? Like, I was impressed. Once again, it felt like Scott truly answered a complaint that we had, that it wasn't based on the world that we loved. It just looks something like it. And he's actively making stories take place in it, so it makes that world more interesting. Now, that being said, B7, it definitely makes the world more interesting, but it's also one of those... It, it's the Fazbear Fright classic of we're going to try and do something interesting. Just It's, it's our, like, hey, let's do a one-shot that has nothing to do with previous stories. Like, Fast Entertainment has very little to do with the story. Uh, uh, a kid named Billy is enraptured with uh, Freddy and Franz. He's enraptured with Fast Entertainment, and specifically, he is enraptured with robot animatronics. Like, he doesn't see the characters as characters. He sees them as robots, and he is fascinated with robots, and he wants to be a robot because he wants to be like them. So it starts with him basically like being a robot at like celebrate and like have fun while watching his favorite cartoon. His parents laugh and they make him feel like, you know, warm and happy about his decision. So he decides to be a robot. Then he decides to be a robot at school. Then he decides to be a robot after school. Then he decides to be a robot for a week. Then he decides to be a robot for a month. Then he decides to be a robot for three months, six months, a year, two years. You can see where this is going. Like, I never expected a Fazbear Fright story to basically be nothing but a tragic mental illness story. Like, I can see this story actually being very controversial on Twitter. Because it is completely about mental illness. And going too far in a reality that you have constructed to yourself. Because Billy, it takes place in Billy's perspective, and he truly believes he is a robot. Like, he calls his brain his processors, he calls his memory his data banks, he moves, he even moves robotically. He does not think of himself as a kid anymore. He thinks himself as a robot designed to be a kid for his parents. And, like, you get a real, like, look into how, like, a kid who probably has these mental illness, especially, like, at the time period of the 1980s, how, like, like, very early on, like, his father, who was not at all, like, a mean person, like, his father, when, like, he sees that his kid is pretending to be a robot, he tries his best to, like, make him feel welcome and warm about it, and he tries his best to, like, try and lean him off it, but not do so that could hurt him. Like, he truly wants the best for his son, but after, like, I think it says, like, four years, like, he tells his wife, like, we can't keep, can't keep, like, indulging the fantasy. Like, he has no friends. Our family doesn't want to see him anymore. He can't go to school. Like, we, he needs to seek real help. And he thinks that, I think, an asylum would be best. He doesn't know it best. He just thinks that, as a, it can't be bad, it can't be worse than just indulging him in the fantasy. And when his wife basically says, no, he's my son, I can't do it, you can understand the wife, the mother's perspective too. And it's one of those times where I'm just like, I can understand why the dad then chose, basically, he chooses to leave. I understand how frustrating and enraged it can be to have a son and you want to help, and you want to help that son, and you can't. And it just becomes too much. And now, he's still horrible in the case of he should have always been there for his son. Don't get, me, don't, don't get that twisted, but I at least could empathize with it. 
and that's impressive to do. And that's the thing with the story, like, you just feel bad, and once in compared to Haps, where I said it was just a 60-minute chasing, the problem was that it was nothing but chase. Like, it was always status quo, really, and up until the last few pages, it was just run, 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 run. We weren't doing that much. B7? It isn't a chase. It is a, it is a train wreck. It reminds me a lot of Breaking Brad's writing in the case of, it's what I like to call subsequent train wreck writing. In that, a train wreck just happened in front of you. Like, you just watched a train wreck. And now you see the tra another train coming, and you see it's not stopping. And it's about to hit that collision again and cause a much bigger, fiery, explosion, inferno, and chaos. And then you see it hit it. And then you see another train coming. And you see another train coming the other way. You just see train after train keep causing this disaster to become bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is the story. I could not tear myself away from the pages because it was so heart-wrenching. Like, every page, like, you just, you just want to take the kid by the shoulders and tell him, what are you doing? But you also know, deep down, that might not help him. Like, it was so enthralling. And I was so impressed at how the tact of writing something as, you know, controversial as mental illness and doing so in a way that was respectful, realistic, and that's a big part, realistic. Fazbear Entertainment has nothing to do with this story. It was just, like, it was, like, they had, they did, it was not, this was not a plot, this was not a ploy, this wasn't a cover-up, this was just a kid was a fan of Five Nights at Freddy's and took his obsession too far that he wanted to become a robot and he wanted to become something that was not part of reality and when he starts making drastic drastic decisions especially after he loses everyone in his life like, you were just seeing a broken man who was really still a boy who has not grown up, and you're just watching him on autopilot. And the moment that everything starts truly crashing and burning, it was so well earned. I give this story... I... I it's up there with Count the Ways. I think Count the Ways is better. But B7, it's a 10 out of 10. It's not as good as Count the Ways in terms of it was expanding a character, a lore, world building through something that we loved previously. And clearly nothing of the story will ever come back into play. It was clearly a Fasper Frights one-shot type story. But the way that it was written, the characters involved, the fact that this was really experimental and the experiment paid off the risk was well rewarded this book is worth reading just for b7 alone i highly recommend it it is fascinating now it is depressing <laughs> it is super depressing so be warned on that front. in fact all these stories i'm not gonna lie they're very depressing 
There's no like in the pit happy ending. There's no count the ways slight optimism. It is nothing but a depressing all three of these stories. Even Haps kind of ends trying to make it sound like, oh, maybe, maybe things get better. It's like, no. <laughs> no, we're still in a chase scene. They're human. They're gonna tire. <laughs> they are dead. <laughs> this book series, overall, I, I gave an 8, I gave a 5, I gave a 10. Uh, overall, that's what? About a. 7.5 out of 10, let's say. I know that's not correct, but 7.6, 7.66 repeating, whatever you want to call it. But really, with B7 and with Help Wanted, this is a 9. Like, Haps is the only thing that is kind of holding it back. And even then, it's still good. Like, it's still worth time reading it. Please go and buy this book. And if, it, if you don't care about any of those three, there is an epilogue as well. Let's talk a little bit about that as well. The epilogue that we got in uh, Lally's game was about building up the pizza place. We see the construction workers as well as uh, sort of an answer to where those endoskeletons and security breach came from that were down below. The word I would describe it would be a tease almost. First off, there was a circus, and I thought at first this was going to be an epilogue about, like, that circus we were always hinted that was around in FFPS. Like, I think it's the same circus. It's nice that we get to see it, but I was kind of hoping to see more. So it, it's possible that it wasn't the same circus at all, but I was kind of hoping there'd be, like, a scrap baby or even... Returning Funtime Freddy, I lie in wait hoping he's come back because I don't want the blob to be the end all of that character. But we didn't get that. Instead, we sort of got an introduction to what looks to be our main cast for the epilogues going further. And I'm going to be honest, uh, this is way too many characters. <laughs> um, like The epilogue basically, it sets up our characters and the majority of which are all these High school students. We basically got the Scooby Gang, plus five, effectively. All end up going to the Pizza Plex as it's under construction during the winter time. Uh, they go down there, and this is also something that was very interesting. It is also common knowledge at this point that Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place is going to be refurbished as a museum. And like that, it's also well established that it's going to be a basement as well. So it's it's very interesting that it's well known. At the very least, it was well known that the Pizzaplex was built atop a location. Like that is very weird. It's it's weird they went in the direction where that was common knowledge because I wasn't expecting to go down that route, but. Yeah, so that's just common knowledge, effectively. And what's not common knowledge, though, of course, is that when they go down there, it's boarded up. So they're, and, and not just boarded up, it's the doors and walls are covered with cement. So people are locked in. Of course, the teens are like, oh, we want to be stupid teens, so we're just going to prop open a vent on the roof and then go down this long ventilation shaft and have no way of escape. Which I'm like, 
when that happened, I was like, really? <laughs> really? Like, this is where we're going with. Okay. I was like, not one person's going to, like, stand watch. At least, no, everyone goes down. And uh, we see sort of the aftermath of Epilogue 1. And we see that whatever threat that was in Epilogue 1 is still down there. And that's where we ended off. And if that sounds really like a setup, it kind of is. Like, it's weird. It was a weird epilogue because I don't think really even the end of the epilogues in the Fast Fright series did this. Where it's sort of a setup after the setup. Like, we got the, we got the idea what the epilogues were about. They were about the building of the Pizzaplex. And something happened, and something got loose, and that became a threat and home to construction. And I thought we were going down the route of people trying to fix it. Instead, we're kind of getting a novel trilogy-esque idea of... Basically, we're getting a refurbished novel trilogy cast of characters going through a similar even circumstance. The first book, Civil Rights Trilogies, where they're going to a location that was buried and forgotten... And now have to survive possibly multiple robots while they wait for help. And I don't know, that did kind of seem a little lazy. I'm still interested to see what happens. I really hope it's not a William After thing. I'm holding my fingers and crossing them that's a fun time Freddy thing, a blob thing, even a Vanessa or Vanny thing. It would be far more interesting than reusing William After again. But I can't tell you what exactly happens. You're going, to need to, you're going to need to buy the book for that. Or, I will be going into depth with each book, giving my overall impression and my overall theories that I can't go into without spoiling them on my Buy Me A Coffee page. So, if you're interested in that, those will be posted in the coming weeks as uh, more and more people read the books, and I discuss it with more and more people, and we get our theories, we toss ideas, and I'll post those videos, and I'll probably make a post on Twitter when those come out, but as of now, uh, those will be a BMAC exclusive as to ensure that no one's going to get spoiled, as I don't want to spoil it to anyone. I do want people to go out and read this. That's also why I'm not doing those episodes. I'm not releasing them. I'm going to keep working on them until maybe like a week or so passes, because I do want people to get their first impressions out, and I do want people to support uh, the franchise, so... I think that is a good stopping point for tonight's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on our Twitter at Fazbear Podcast or supporting us on our Buy Me a Coffee page using the link in the description below. Next time, we will be going over the story I told you we were going over the last time. We are going to be going over Fetch. Uh... Uh, so please look forward to that. Uh, I also appreciate the support that we got on episode 19. Episode 19 we had a lot of risk involved. Uh, so I very much appreciate that. We weren't anticipating uh, the support we got on that, but it very much was appreciated. Uh, we got a lot of comments on the fact that it was very much like an audiobook, which was kind of the feeling that we wanted to emulate. We really wanted to give these books the respect they deserve. We also wanted to do it in our own way that we were replacing what was there because we want to pay homage, we don't want to replace. We also don't want to get in trouble with Scott Coffee. You know, we don't want to be posting his entire stories uh, online without, you know, you know, him not getting his uh, uh, 
recuperants on it. And especially even the writers too who write the write these stories well. You know, uh, Ellie Cooper, Andrea Wagner, they also deserve credit for writing these stories as well. And because they've been on it for years, and it's very happy to see their craft improve. Once again, once again, I've been your host, Nick. And thank you everyone for listening. Have a good night. <laughs>